Hello, and welcome to another episode on Paving the Way podcast. I'm Seth Moa, a.k.a. Essay. I'm here with Kenny Jean-Louis, a.k.a. KJL. And today we're here with someone who's been coaching for a while, who's brought the program to, I guess, let's say, uh, from the bottom up, started from the bottom, now we're here. And he's been, he's been pretty known across Canada, uh, one of the top programs in Canada, and definitely one of, uh, probably the top program in Quebec. Mr. Michael Smoleski. Merci d'avoir euh, accepté l'invitation. Seth t'envoie un message puis directement t'as dit t'as dit oui. Puis je pense qu'il y a beaucoup de personnes qui vont apprendre de, de, de qu'est-ce que tu vas nous dire aujourd'hui, joueur, coach. Donc euh, merci encore man, d'avoir accepté. Thanks for having me. Donc la première question c'est euh, c'est quand la passion du basketball a commencé pour toi? Euh, ça a tout commencé. Euh... En tant qu'enfant, euh, dans les années à l'école primaire, dans, dans la rue, euh, j'ai eu la chance de, de jouer à tous les sports, essayer tous les sports, euh, tous les sports qui étaient accessibles dans le temps facilement, le soccer euh, dans la rue, dans les parcs, euh, le, le, le hockey de rue. Euh, j'avais même, je pense, essayé le baseball, mais le baseball, j'avais moins aimé. Je l'ai essayé une ou deux fois. Euh, le basket, c'est venu un petit peu plus, plus tard parce qu'il n'y avait tout simplement pas de panier euh, dans mon quartier euh, dans le temps. C'est arrivé plutôt vers l'âge de 9-10 ans dans notre, cours de, dans notre cours de récré à l'école. C'est là que j'ai découvert le basket. Puis euh, tranquillement, c'est le, c'est le sport que j'ai choisi de, de pratiquer de manière plus sérieuse puis que j'ai commencé à vraiment, vraiment aimer. Puis... Euh, Disons, dans, j'ai eu la chance de découvrir la NBA euh, dans les années 90. Et ça, a juste, c'est, ça, ça a juste donné ce que ça a donné. Did you know, did you know, I guess, around when you started playing basketball, what you, what you wanted to do with the sport? Or were you just playing for fun at the time? Um, playing for fun, but yeah. also very competitive at it. I mean, we... Uh, We were always a competitive bunch. Uh, my groups of friends at school or, or the neighbors, you know, everybody plays, like, everybody plays to win at that age also. Like it's cool scoring goals on a hockey net or making a shot or scoring a goal in soccer. Like, like kids like to, 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 to compete and, and, and just, it's, it's almost natural sometimes when you do pick up a sport to, to push yourself. So when I picked up basketball, like I wanted to make the team in high school. That was objective number one. Um, then I wanted to be in the best players of the team, right? But that didn't happen because there was other good players on the team. But that was still, I still wanted to improve and, and I wanted to play, you know, uh, as long as possible. And, and I would lie to say that, you know, at, at a certain age, I wasn't dreaming to play in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Everybody, I don't care who you are, at some point in your life, if you played basketball, that dream comes along. I mean, I would imagine it did for me. Uh, I did realize later on when I was uh, a little older that uh, there was a lot of good players around and, and that would probably not be possible, but that didn't hold me back from from continuing to play uh, in parks, uh, playing against very good players that played in university, uh, and just 
keep playing the game as long as possible in, in, in rec leagues or, or school leagues or whatever. Okay. Where, where did you play in high school and CJEP? And you say you play a little bit university. Where did you play? I, I did not play university. I did show up for a tryout and uh, understood pretty quickly that it would be um, very difficult to balance uh, academics and athletics at that time. Um, I was also a little unsure of what I wanted to do uh, uh, school-wise, and, and I just wanted to make sure I wasn't uh, uh, dropping the ball there. I kept playing afterwards, so I, I played high school ball at my high school. Which high school? I, sorry, was that? Which high school? Uh, Jean Brebeuf. Okay. I, I actually played there, uh, you know, got accepted to that school, had no idea that they had uh, a very good high school program at the time, and, and when we had orientation there, it was revealed that it was a, a top high school program. Mm -hmm. so, oh, well, they have a top high school basketball program. I got to play on that team, you know, the other sports didn't interest me. So, you know, went through a tryout and made the team, played there in high school up till um, grade nine or 10, I believe. And I finished in, um, in inner city. I played in the uh, MBL afterwards, finish oh. off high school. And then in CJEP, I played, I mean, there's not a lot of options when you're in CJEP. So I, I was still at Brebeuf in CJEP played for them. We weren't very good. Uh, we played against some very good teams back then. Um, you know, it was, uh, it was an interesting uh, ex experience. And uh, yeah, kept playing after CJEP, didn't play in university, kept playing uh, in rec leagues here and there. And, yeah. and slowly towards the end of my university degree, I uh, got into coaching. Okay. Um I know your brother played uh, plays basketball. Um, so is it because of you he started playing basketball from a young age? I guess when you looked at you, saw you playing or um, that? No matter the sport he would have chosen, he would have been pretty good at it. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, there's, there's a bit of years of difference between the two of us. Like there's seven years. If, if there had been less years difference, say like two, maybe he would have gone his way. But... I'm thinking like when I started playing organized basketball, he started playing organized basketball. The difference was I was 12 and he was five. So he started playing mini, which didn't really exist when I was five, but it did when he was. And I told him, hey, if you want to play ball, go play at Sun Youth. It was the closest uh, program and it was a very, uh -huh. and still is a very good program. Yeah. So I guess you could, You know, it's a natural thing. You see your bigger brother, much older brother at the time. Okay, you want to do the same thing, you know? Yeah. Would you, would you I guess, at Sun Youth at that point when he was, because he was, I remember him as a player. He was pretty good, you know. Um, mm -hmm. When he was playing, would you coach him on, would you coach him on the side? Um, well, yes. And, well, when I was in high school, I was still, like, worried about getting better myself and, mm -hmm. like, trying to survive, uh, on the team with, with bigger and better players and still making the team year, year in and year out. Uh, but every now and then I would go see his game and, and you know, it's sort of, it's sort of bigger than you sometimes it's in the nature of you're cheering, but you're also trying to tell him what to do if he's making a mistake and 
it's not necessarily a good thing, but it's also pretty natural. Like I see it today when I'm coaching, uh, you know, and, and sometimes it doesn't happen, but sometimes it does. It's, it's sort of like a, there's something that takes over a bit, you know, that makes you want to coach the person that's close to you while on, while they're playing. Right. And mm -hmm. distraction sometimes. So. Mm -hmm. And yeah. at what moment coaching crossed your mind and Adam was the first person that you coach or you coach? Uh... I, I, like I never really coached uh, Adam. I, I just uh, brought him to the parks. I played, he would always tag along at a certain age when he was able to, to challenge me. We started playing more one-on-ones and uh, coaching, like coaching, like officially. Mm -hmm. There's a difference between being a big brother and telling him what to do and, and actually getting into coaching. And coaching started uh, towards the end of my university degree. By then, I was only playing once or twice a week in leagues. And then I would catch whatever game he could play because he was, he was very good in high school. And I would cheer and all that and, and you know, try to help from the sidelines. And, uh, you know, eventually it started getting into my mind. I was like, I, I could probably coach. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't look that complicated. You, you know, it looks very logical to me. You know, you, you need to score more points than the other team. And I had no idea about all the uh, – uh, well, I had some ideas of strategies from my playing days. So one thing led to an X. I went to an alumni tournament. Then I said to the organizers, I'd like to coach or try out coaching in a camp. Went to coach at a camp for negligible pay. And uh, at the end of that camp, they said, well, do you want to take on a team? Hmm. A program? I said, sure. I took on the uh, grade seven B team. So meaning that was like the, the most developmental team of the program so you know like there's 30 kids playing in grade seven i'm getting the second 15. okay so i start out with the uh i don't want to call them the lowest group but i start yeah. mm -hmm. lowest group and uh, a few weeks in during lunchtime one of my very good friends uh who i would i would i would we would cross paths sporadically just happened to be in the same uh cafeteria as me and you know he says hey what are you doing here i'm like i'm coaching the 7b team and he's like well i'm i'm the head, i'm coaching the cjep team do you want to be my assistant coach i'm looking for someone i haven't been able to fine i'm all in and you know so right off the bat i started coaching or helping out with two teams okay um yeah. what, what was the i guess when you, when you started coaching what did you find difficult i know the 7b team so but was there anything that you did was to surprise you? Um, the 7B team wasn't like the, the challenges are different from group to group. So like the group, like we're talking about 12 year olds, mm -hmm. you're basically teaching, you know, mm -hmm. passes, shooting on a wall, t shooting form, shooting technique. Like we're playing with smaller balls. They've so a lot of them never picked up a basketball. It's crazy to say today, but back then, I mean, today kids are starting or, or picking a sport earlier and earlier, but back then we were picking our sport later and later. Like I, I picked basketball, I was 12. It was the same thing for these kids. So they were picking up basketball and, 
and I think the first or second game, uh, I, w- I coached with that group. I, I told the kid's name was uh, Frank. I said, uh, Frank, go in, for, um, go in for George. I don't remember who he was going in for. And he gets up and he sprints right onto the court. We get a technical foul. It's like, yeah, it's not hockey. <laughs> to go up to the scorer's table, like they, they had no idea. Yeah. So, you know, they're picking up the sport for the first time. So you can imagine it's very different from mm-hmm. coaching a CJEP squad who, like, from the first year had talent on the team, like, really good talent, guys I've never heard of. And they were all like 100 times better than at my best, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was a different, different challenge. You okay. first, first time ever. And you're coaching players that were able to perform at a much higher level than you ever were able to. And it's your first year coaching. That's a challenge also, right? Like how do we give him feedback? How do I, how do I earn yeah. athletes trust? Yeah. That's that all things in, in my mind. And, and how you did that, like, yeah, like, so, because cause I know for a fact, like, meeting someone who I have no idea who it is, obviously, the trust factor is not there. You know, I kind of shy away. So, what, how did you do it? He, he, I made mistakes, you know, I made mistakes, but I think what helped me was I was open-minded to observing how they would react to my feedback. And I was like, oh, that must have been the wrong tone, or that was too direct, or, you know, too, too, too much too soon, right? Mm-hmm. So, Maybe it's not the time yet, you know? And I had, and I was like, I don't know how old I was. 22 when I picked up coaching, uh, 23. And these were 18 year old, 19 year olds, you know, that the age difference wasn't huge. Mm-hmm. It was big enough, but it wasn't huge. And, but the experience was very similar in, in the game. So I had to, I had to have moments of retreat and, truly like understand what my place in the team was at the time right mm-hmm. only that i came in two weeks later they already went through a preseason training camp or whatever or tryouts here's this new guy coming in uh you know yeah one knows me uh except for the head coach you know it's it's a challenge in itself to to make your spot it's the same thing for a player right they yeah find their their role in the team. Well, back then, even the assistant coach had to sort of find their place in the team. Puis, puis tu dirais que ça a pris combien de temps pour être confortable puis que tu sois comme confiant de tes habilités? But like, like um, confident in my ability. That mm-hmm. didn't take long because I've always been. Uh, a thinker of the game. I always, I was always confident about what I could bring to that group or a certain group in terms of my knowledge and, and what to work on and, and like just how to analyze what was going on. Uh, so that I didn't take much time. It took considerably more time building the relationship of trust or, or just like where I could just coach from, from a certain, I just coach freely, quick, snappy, and they would understand what I was saying. And, you know, at mm-hmm. like, well, I don't understand what you're saying. So it's like, all right, take them aside and have a discussion. And it's not super efficient. And you're just trying to 
make sure that they understand your message. Meanwhile, the rest of practice is going on. So uh, finding the quote unquote sweet spot took, took, took a while. I don't know how much time in terms of weeks or months, but it took a while, right? If I think about it today, it took a while. Back then, I was probably not even thinking about that, right? I was just thinking, get your kill, come on, see, when you take a step back is when you realize, okay, yeah, you know, creating that relationship or that, that, uh, that link between the coach and the student athlete takes far more time than, than building confidence in, 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 in or your technique teaching or whatever. How, um, how long do you, how long were you an assistant coach for? Two years. Two years. And then by my third year, I, uh, by my third year, I took over the team. Mm-hmm. Um, so how was that? So you went from coaching seven B to two years assistant coach. Coach, all that in four years. Oh, I was hungry to. All right. I know what I. Hold on. Um, So, um, how long did you coach? uh, How long were you assistant coach for? The first two years. Two years. So, you went from coaching 7B to being assistant coach for two years, and now. I I was with the 7Bs. Yeah. I was the head coach. Yeah. Practice three times a week for like an hour, an hour and a half. And I was an assistant coach on the CJEP side in the first year. The second year, I was an assistant coach on the midget, so grade yeah. and CJEP. And by the end of my second year, I was like, all right, I want to go all in on one team, practice, uh, you know, implement my vision or, you know, just my approach and, and, um, yeah, so by the third year, I was a head coach of one team, and that's it. Like coaching too many teams at the, in the same years, you know, it's it's a it's a suggestion that I I give to a lot of younger coaches that get into coaching. Mm-hmm. Blame them for oh, I'm going to coach this team, coach this team, coach this team, but you know, it's just like a teacher. A mm-hmm. teacher school can't teach 45 students at once in one class, and every teacher would like to have a smaller class. You know. There are circumstances, right? It's the same thing with coaching. If I'm coaching three teams, I'm split. So by the end of the second year, I was already thinking, okay, I'm only going to go with one team. Okay. Uh, and as and, in my third year. And you went for the, uh, I believe, it was the Bluebuff, the D2 team? Yeah, the CJAA team uh, back then. I was also helping out at Sun Youth for a year or two. Okay. Jits or juveniles. Um, that was also. Very fun, a little different, but mm-hmm. just as rewarding. Okay. Est-ce que, durant ce temps-là, tu avais des mentors, peut-être des coachs de Montréal ou Québec ou peut-être de NBA ou NCA, que peut-être tu prenais des petits trucs ou toi, c'était tes propres trucs, genre? So, back then, the access to information wasn't what it was today what it is today today first of all everything you, you can find a lot of stuff free back then you had a budget because there wasn't a lot of uh coaching material that was free like you wanted to go get a book it was 20 bucks you wanted to order a dvd online it was 40 bucks and you'd have to wait three weeks before it arrived so there was a lot of that like just just 
browsing the web through like subjects that you wanted to see some coaches, but certainly subjects because it was a whole introduction to like, I was a player for, for a long time. I had no idea who the coaches were except for like the top NBA guys. And then I'm getting into coaching and I'm discovering this world where, wow. Okay. There's like, there's a whole profession here. Ton load of coaches uh, and they're giving clinics about this subject, that subject, like breaking down the game. So all of a sudden, you know, to, to, to limit in the early days, to limit it to one or two mentors uh, would be impossible. I mean, we, uh, I think on my third year, or was it my, it was my third year, I believe we drove down to uh, Cleveland for a clinic. And a lot of big NCA coaches um, and some NBA assistants were giving uh, presentations on, you know, one-hour presentations on a subject. So then I was picking up on stuff and I was starting to figure out, you know, what was my style or what I preferred or what I was, you know, mm-hmm. I identified with more as an approach to to coaching. And in terms of, of, of like mentorship, it would be like the close circle back then. You know, there was, there was a good group of coaches at Brebeuf. Um, you know, they're not coaching now. Uh, they're all, they've all moved on. But, you know, we used to have one or two get-togethers a week after practice when everybody would be done with their practice. We'd have over, head over to the closest resto bar and, like, spend an hour or two and chat. So that was... That was like a, you know, I guess you could say mentorship or self-coaching, uh, you know, just a brain mm-hmm. of ideas. And, you know, it would be just like asking the older coaches, like, what book should I read or who should I concentrate on? And, and yeah, you had to be, you had to be a bit creative back then. Yeah. Thousands and, to get information. And, and you think that was maybe positive because you had to put the work in? Or you think like you would have rather have all the information like I guess uh, I don't. Young, young coach young coach have now like I don't I I do I wouldn't take back anything that happened then I, I wouldn't res- I don't regret anything it is different today there's far more access there's far more people posting things and people are like yeah do you have to do less work to find out less research to find out about a subject sure but there's also a different challenge that that has arisen in the sense that you almost have too much access and you can fall into these traps of mm-hmm. checking out too many things at once yeah. and not really developing your own style anymore or your own philosophy or your own approach because now you have access to the playbook of the Boston Celtics well I'm going to apply the the Boston Celtics playbook but meanwhile, you haven't developed maybe your own identity as a coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those, are, those are bigger, you know, challenges today. No, that's that's true. Yeah. Um, when you um, when you when you started coaching the D two team, the D two, did you already did you have a vision of where you wanted to go with them, or did you, were you like, you know what, I'm, I'm starting from the bottom. I don't know what's going to happen. So, so we were starting from the bottom, and 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 the coach that I was coaching with, who who let me take over was already building it and it was already at a good level but that program at the cjep level had never won uh, a provincial championship in any sport i believe Mm. so you know 
I was thinking short term. You know, I was, I was, I have an ego. I have a competitive ego. Uh, basketball is a competitive world in Montreal. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember the last uh, rec recreational game that I've played in, whether it be at DJ Sports or any other league that it didn't turn out to be like a competitive game. You know, it's, it's sports at a yeah. certain age, you know? So in the short term, I was like, well, we can win and we can bring something to this program that, that hasn't happened before. Right. Which was a provincial championship in CJEP, which hadn't happened in basketball, but hadn't happened in any other sport in, in, in that CJEP at the time, I believe. So, I wasn't thinking too long-term at the time. I was too young to think long-term. I was very much in the year by year. This year, what do I do to maximize that year and the following year and the following year? And how was the feeling to win your first uh, provincial? Um, it's a good one because um, there was a team in specifically that year that we could not beat until – until um until the finals what team was that uh it was Dawson. Uh, i coached by dakari jarvis and uh Den yeah. shout out to dakari or Den Burke had already moved on but like it was mm -hmm. that of 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 dawson uh double a they were in charge and all that and i think they had beaten us twice in the regular season in the regional final And in the provincial final, like, we were ready. And our guys came out, like, yeah. Yeah. Guys came out. I'll, I'll leave it at that. That was uh, <laughs> one guy hit six three-pointers. Olivier Boyard had an all-around game. Um, so uh, to describe the feel, like, yeah, tears of joy. Uh, everyone yeah. and And, uh, you know, there was just, like, this, this weight that came off because – Uh, you know, the year before we had lost in the provincial finals. Um, and we had lost it in a very blah or very normal way. We just imposed oh. ourselves. It was just tie game. We would go up six, tie game. We would go up six, tie game. We'd go up six. Once they went up four, we lost by eight. And that was the game. And it was just like, oh, it's over. And then it was a very That's, that's a loss that stuck with me. Uh -huh. and it's like, okay, how can we avoid that? What did we, what was it that led to that? And, you know, it's a lot of things that happened during the year as well. So, you know, we were always, we always were thinking with the end goal, which was to, to win. We had already won regional championships. We had never won that provincial championship. So to finally win that one the first time, it was, uh, I guess, a release of stress, like, We were all super happy. Everybody was yelling. The coaches were yelling. And yeah, so it was. Uh, so I know you guys won after that. You guys, I don't know if, uh, but I know you won a lot. How, how many banners how did you win in D2? Provincial banners. Uh, we won seven. Uh, we won seven out of nine or eight. Yeah, that's ridiculous. So um, at what point were you like, you know what? I think it's the next step to make, make a jump to go to Division One. So, um, We had, we had figured out or we had developed a formula that was like or an identity in that league. And, and I mean, there was all sorts of good teams giving us problems. Like 
one year would be uh, Cégep de Rosemont with, with like three or four really, really good players uh, that were borderline AAA level. And like they were in our way and we would find a way to, to get past them. Like, so it's not like we were, we were not blowing out the league. These were tight, these were tight wins. Like the second championship we won in uh, Jonquière and there was like, it was against Jonquière in Jonquière, uh, more veteran team crowd was 99% theirs. And, you know, we went and stole the championship. Like we, that's the feeling, right? We mm-hmm. were pulling away at the end by eight or, or nine. So, I mean, we, we were winning. And um, when did it start to be like, hey, what, what can we do more? I mean, anytime you're building a program, now, now we were no longer in the short term. We were thinking long term. And it was like, okay, what can I bring new? What's the next step? So then we started to build a more competitive schedule outside of the league, like like we used to, we used to go to tournaments that were like juvenile and CJAA mixed. We would win them, uh, sometimes comfortably, sometimes close. But it was like, okay, well, we need a better non-conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're still AA and we're starting to add prep school games to the schedule. We're starting to travel to the States. We're starting to add AAA teams from Montreal to the schedule. And we were starting to win against them. We got blown out in some of them. And then it's like, okay, well, that program exists in our city. They're in a different, they're, yeah, they're in a different league, but there's no, what's holding me back from like trying to reach that level, regardless of the league I'm at. Yeah. Why can't I build a program that's as reputable or as good as them, right? Yeah. So we start, we start evaluating or comparing ourselves and, and, um, you know, we also started losing high school players to AAA programs, which, uh, you know, it's fine. Everybody is, is free to choose. And, and, but some of them were going to AAA programs and not playing much, and they would have played more with us or whatever. But, you know, sometimes you start to, to, to evaluate and the school's losing student athletes to other schools. So now the school's on board to say, hey, what can we do to, to stop losing the students to other programs. Yeah. So that's where the project to go into division one or triple A was called back yeah. then. Okay. And, and d- d- during that time, there's a bunch of great players that you coach. What, what were you looking for? Like uh, when you were doing your recruitment? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the, the two first things, like everybody's talented when they reach the CJP level. So that goes without saying. Uh, maybe we were looking at potential a, a lot more like, like, because it was, we had our recruiting challenges. Uh, maybe, um, maybe we would not go out the top dogs, so to speak, uh, because we wouldn't have a chance and maybe try to find the, the, the student athlete that was a little more overlooked, but we could see a potential it was a little longer, but wasn't as developed at that age at 16 wasn't as developed as a you know maybe a Seth Amo or a Kenny Jean-Louis for example as a as a reference mm-hmm. so you know we're looking at the guys that are that but might have an interesting potential we'll we'll take a chance on them to come back to you know the two first points that are the most important is 
you know, is, is that athlete passionate about his or her sport? And what's the, uh, what's the work ethic like, you know, Uh a, do they get down on themselves easily after a mistake or are they, you know, working possession after possession and just not wait, just, you know, and, and sometimes you can teach that attitude or that behavior or develop it, help them develop it. But having too many, there's also a fine line, right? Where do you, you know, how many can you take on where you have to like, I don't know, teach how to work hard or whatever. So those would be the first things. Those that were, there was a true hunger behind it. Okay. Them playing. So. Okay. Um, I know Brebeuf is one of the top schools academically. For mm-hmm. sure, that must have, that must have, I guess, played a role in the recruiting process. Because, yeah, it does. It, it can limit us in recruitment. Um, this year, I found out that uh, there's 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 the thinking amongst high school uh, kids that think that they need 85 or 87 average to get in. Which yeah. is, um, <laughs> it's the same. It's the same. It's the same reference for all CJPs. It, it takes 70 to get into a certain program, 75 to get into another program. Um, they do need to have a work ethic, uh, and they do need to be able to work with, with a routine. Our school is very rigorous Uh academic demands and that pays off. I believe, I always believe that it pays off, uh, later on. It might, it could be a struggle for them at first to adapt, but, um, you know, CJP, CJP everywhere is not a walk in a park. It's, it's tough. It's, uh, you know, these are required to be independent a lot more all of a sudden than in high school where there's generally more support. Uh Um, So, you know, you're looking, you know, you're evaluating the kid academically Uh uh, and then you're also, uh, you're evaluating the athletic potential and the work ethic, right? Uh I think, and the desire to get better. Do you think, no, no, yeah. Do you think, um, cause I know it's, Academically, Bluebuff is like one of the tops, and also Bluebuff also basketball is one of the top. How do you coach? How do you balance that, or how tell them to balance the academic side and Bluebuff part? Do you coach them differently, like each player? Uh, Depending on what they want. Okay, well, from a general standpoint, like if if a student athlete is going to come play CJP, they're gonna have a course load that's not negligible and they're going to have a practice load or, or practice schedule and game schedule that is, is big. So regardless of where you're going, you know, we have that discussion uh, and I I'm sure the other schools do too, is you got to make a decision. You know, there are certain things that you're going to have to prioritize between these months and these months, right? You know, 12 months. No, I mean, there's a lot of people saying it's a 12 month, sport today sure but it's not as intensive all 12 months right there is downtime yeah etc so so you build an annual schedule for them that's realistic that that allows them to to cover all their needs um in the most intense part of this schedule you will you will have discussions about um prioritizing school and sports uh, and and family time obviously uh, but you know, some things might have to be toned down. And then when you're more like in the transition phase or the off season downtime, you are going to have, uh, 
you're going to let go a bit more also. So coming back to the individual, obviously, it's all about needs, you know, um, just within, within the same practice, we might be working on different things with different, with different individuals. You know, I sometimes show some of our guys how to use a proper running technique because they're not using their arms. They never learn how to use their arms properly while running. Uh, some will, you know, be working on the left hand a lot more. Some will be working on catching the ball better. You know, yeah. so we try to keep it going collectively, but we also try to adjust to each individual and depending on where they're at in their development stage. Okay. Okay. And also like to build a great program, like you, you guys have, you need good player, good coach. You need also good assistant coach. So what are you looking for? Like when you are your assistant coach? Well, it's the same thing as, as, as with the players, like, Are they passionate? Are they willing to coach? Again, like I mentioned a bit earlier, you know, lots of coaches are coaching many teams at once. And uh-huh. unless you're doing that full time and like you're living off of coaching basketball, which I'm not and our assistant coaches aren't, um, I would encourage to only coach one team during a period of time. Because again, there's only so many so many times you can split yourself between players. And if you're coaching two teams, well, all of a sudden you got to talk, think about 24 players instead of 12, you know? So, so that's number one is availability. And, and, and are you going to coach 35 players? Or are you going to concentrate on, on 12? You know, we'll prioritize a coach uh, that can, um, that can just concentrate on one team. The other thing is like a passion for the sport, obviously. And yeah, is is like uh you know can we get along can we find that sweet spot between and also disagreeing on things and that's super super important like we gotta be able to challenge ourselves we gotta be able to question ourselves can it lead to conflict sometimes sure but i think they don't want to work with with uh yes people to yeah. nothing uh, but i also don't want to work with people that think out loud what they think uh say out loud what they think as it arrives like if you have a proposition structure it and and bring it forward i do want to hear all opinions right yeah structure it you know okay. let's have a discussion i mean i love the coaching discussions we have is it hard to coach with your brother or it's easy um <laughs> actually you i would have thought because we've butted heads so much like we we're so competitive towards one another when we were younger but uh we have a, a lot of just natural discussions about 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 coaching and about next year's team and about like it, it no it i wouldn't say it's difficult okay there's always a little you know i i'm, I'm pretty sure the toughest part with the assistant coaches is always about substitutions. Yeah. That's always like the most sensitive subject. Like if they tell me he looks tired, all right, that's clear, that's easy, bring him in. Those are always a little more sensitive conversations to have, especially in this, 
in the heat of the moment, in the middle of the game. They're always, and I, I still welcome it though, right? I, I have to, right? Uh-huh. But you know, we got we set we set rules about when and where to to intervene and how. Mm-hmm. Okay, because um, I I know like you said before the coaching the D two team the D two team yeah it was more stretched out right once now you now you're in Division one now Triple A everyone's a lot tighter season a lot shorter when you're talking about the schedule yeah schedule yeah, yeah. so was that challenging for you so like making oh, yeah. that yeah adapt, adapt, adaptation yeah oh yeah the first two years in our Division one. Uh, I thought, well, season, just, just sorry, I thought sorry, we didn't so, peak for the playoffs. Uh, sorry, so, sorry, 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 because I guess take two. Um, I know coaching the D two team, the the schedules, the schedules a lot stretched out, but um, and going to Division one, the schedule a lot tighter. So was that a, I guess, challenging for you making that transition? Absolutely. The the we used to joke that the division two schedule was endless. Like the provincial championship would happen most often at the very earliest mid April, mid April, we were playing our provincial championship. In the division one level, you're playing your provincial championship the first weekend of March. Yeah. And then if you move on to nationals a week later, you're at nationals. Yeah. You haven't even played regional championships in the Division Two level, and the D1 teams are in their off season, right? Yeah. And we had good players when we were playing Division Two, who were being recruited onto AAU teams, and like the D1 guys were already resting and getting ready for their AAU season, and we're still in our school season, you know, getting for regional championships, and if we and if we qualify, we win or whatever we're getting ready for provincial championships two to three weeks after that. So big difference in terms of schedule. Um, it took us a while to master it. Like our, our first year is a bit different because we brought in eight new, uh, eight new guys just for the first AAA year and um, or division one, I should say. And so we, you know, it took us a while to build, build chemistry and, and a style of play and all that. And, you know, we didn't peak for 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 the playoffs, and um, yeah, the playoffs. The biggest thing with the Division One schedule is right after Christmas, you got like yeah. seven weeks left. Everybody's on pause or whatever, and and we're back from Christmas vacation, and and your first practice is I don't know January fifth or whatever, and then February 29th is or twenty eighth is the mm-hmm. quarterfinal, and and then semis and finals. So. So it's a sprint. It's no longer a marathon. Like in the Division Two level, we would really split the season in two. We had Christmas and after Christmas. And it was like two different seasons almost. We would try a bunch of stuff in the first, in the first half. And then in, in season two or part two, it was like training camp again. And we were getting ready for like a few tough games in January. And then season play place started at the end of January at the division one CJP level within the first week of January, you're playing your yeah. first league game. So scheduling is, 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 is very different. And, and, you know, our first years in division one, we were exploring too much still the first years, mm-hmm. January, and you don't got time for that. You but got- you guys, you guys, you, I, yeah, you appreciate the exploring, but 
you guys got really good really fast. You know, like mm. me thinking, especially when I was watching from the outside, I was like, oh, Boy Beth, Boy Beth is in Division One now. Because I heard about you guys in Division Two for a long time. So then I'm like, okay, let's see how well they do. It did not take you very long. What was the secret to the success that you had um, very early? There was luck. There was definitely luck. I mean, we, we got, we, we took a gamble in our last Division Two year. So when we got accepted to Division One, we had a transition year. So we had to play one more Division Two year that was imposed by the league. It was a new rule. And then we were jumping into Division One the year after. So we had purposely from, from, from the 2014 season, like that ended 2014, we did not recruit much into the last Division Two year because we didn't want, we didn't know if we were going to have a Division Two team once we were Division One, and I didn't want to say goodbye to ten players. So we left, we left it a bit empty from one year to the next, and we barely, we barely scraped by in our last Division Two year. Like, you know, we won it all. We ended up clicking actually at a, like, we actually ended up clicking at probably our best level in terms of collectively, but we did have less talent. Uh, we found a way to, to, to squeak one more uh, victory out. But that year, it was like we were trying to maximize our last year in Division Two, and then it was all about recruitment for our first Division One. And we got lucky. We didn't, we didn't strike out on a lot. And we ended up bringing in eight new guys. I didn't think we were going to bring in eight guys. So we approached, like, I don't know, 11 or 12. I don't remember. And, like, eight of them said, yes, we're coming here. So that helped a lot. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we took our licks that year. We took our, our licks that first Division One year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we played very freely. But, you know, without chemistry, that can be... Um, that can hurt you, like you, you know, it could it could go sideways fast. And uh, we made playoffs. We were in the semifinals. We got destroyed in our first in our semifinal that year. Um, you know, nice little learning experience. We finished with the bronze that year, I believe. Yeah. And, um, yeah, but a lot of it is with a lot of it. A lot of it had to do with recruitment luck. Okay. Uh, yeah. And. Um, how, how was that feeling? Like, I, I know there's like maybe two or three guys who only played um, Division Two who went on to the state. So how was that feeling? Like, you knowing, okay, that guy uh, trust me and play double A. And after that, went went to the States while there's maybe some guys who maybe go, huh. went to other school and maybe didn't yeah. get the chance to go. So, so our program turned around when, when we were able to get two or three guys, two or three key players to stay in the division two level, but we had to back up our talk. You know, we were saying we can develop you just, uh, it was a risk. We had to build a schedule. Like we had to make up for it with a a competitive uh, non-conference schedule. And, um, and we also had to back it up with, with the development aspect. You know, we had to be available for them. As long as they wanted to be in the gym individually or someone had to be working with them. So um, it, it built on from there. And, and for them to have reached the, the a high university level, 
you know, it was very rewarding. And it was also like, okay, I wasn't crazy to think because a lot of people called us crazy back then to be, to be recruiting players of that caliber and um, for them to reach that level or certain elite level after going through our, our program, even if it was division two was rewarding. And it gave a, it gave me a bit of peace. Like, all right, my math can always get better, but my method works like improve it every year. But that feeling was good to answer your question shortly. Thank you. And I know you guys, uh, I'm not sure, but I could have been to two provincial finals of you guys. I think one versus Momo. Mm-hmm. And the next second one I went to, I went, now I went Banyan. a little bit, was the Banyan this year that just passed. Yeah. 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 Um, how, how do you keep, how do you stay motivated? You guys are almost there, but don't, you know, get it on. Um, in terms of keep going? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, motivation comes from within, right? So, uh, again, it's, it's all about what your goals are. My goals are to provide the, uh, most university off season that will never, that will never end regardless of our talent level, regardless if we're challenging for a championship that season next, my goal is still to do the best and develop, you know, the best possible um, student athlete coming out and him having university opportunities. So that doesn't change regardless of what's going on at the end of the, the provincial playoffs. Um, it can be tough to, 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 uh, to, um, to stay, uh, you can't, to stay motivated or quote unquote, you could feel sorry for yourself losing uh, some tight finals, but, but, you know, I got to give my hats off to the opponent as well, right? Like, we lost to Vanya this year, and they were a fantastic team. It's, let's call it what it is, you know? Like, they, they were really good. They were talented, well-prepared, well-coached, uh, you know, veteran team. I don't need to go over their whole roster, yeah. but their roster uh, presented a lot of problems. And so that, like, that helps me stay motivated because it's like we're we're just there and we don't we'll break through and and it's now is not the time to let go there's a there's a quote uh that the spurs used a lot that i don't know if they still use it they they like to use it's called it's the rock breaker um quote and it's something that goes along like uh you know a rock breaker will hit a stone a hundred times and the stone will finally break on the 100th time, but make no mistake, it's the 99 hits that, that, were, that happened before and not the 100th hit yeah. that finally break. Something like that. I'm not doing the, the, the quote justice, but uh, you know, that's something that, I, that I've identified with, with, with very uh, early on, very early. And you know, Kenny asked, like mentorship, like now that comes to mind, like, yeah, eventually Popovich, I was all in on Popovich's coaching methods, his strategies. It's a system that I um, studied, but also like how he coached his guys, right? So it looks like he's the most tough guy on NBA guys right now, and the guys respond to it, right? And these are superstar athletes. 
and you see like the guys are response, uh, responding to his quote unquote tough love coaching. And you know, it's just, is it tough love coaching or is he just demanding and he set standards for his players and he's not going to bend them. Right. And there's no doubt that, you know, they love each other and the relationship is rock solid. So, you know, first I was looking at the tactics of the Spurs and then I was looking at how, you know, they are as a group and as a staff in terms of coaching attitude and demanding character and all that. So, you know, we could, we could feel sorry for ourselves after losing a few tight ones, or we could keep going and getting better and learning from it. Okay. Um, this season is a little different because this, this season's a little different because we were thinking we were going to get another crack. Like, like when the provincials finished, we knew we weren't done and we were going to It was a very confident group and a very confident staff. We were ready, staff, and we were ready. And then nationals got, got canned yeah. because there are things more important, right? So, so how, with everything that's happening right now, how do you stay in touch with your, your team and do you give them workout or how do you stay in touch? So, so we created a few workouts for them to use with or without a hoop defend, depending on their accessibility to a hoop. Obviously, the first weeks, or I would even say month, it was very tough because no one was sure, like, are you allowed to go outside and this and that. So we would meet on Zoom, have team meetings. We would have phone calls with each individual. Um, nowadays, we've loosened up a bit. Um, our guys or our students finally finished their semester two days ago. Finally done with school as of two days. So now we're going to look at what we can do more now going forward. You know, I think, you know, we can still work out outside as long as we're safe. So we're going we're gonna to build a schedule. You know, the weight room won't be accessible for, for a long time, I'm hearing. So we're going to have to get creative with, with adapting to that, you know. So we, and, and you know what? Some downtime isn't a bad thing, right? And a lot of these guys finally got a mental break. And, you know, some, because they, they, they live in a world where it's just go, go, go nonstop. And they don't really get a mental break. Very few do. So the downtime might have helped a lot. You know, they might be less in shape cardio-wise. But, you know, it's, it's not a bad thing maybe in the long run. Yeah, that's true. And one of the last questions, um, you've coached um, some great players have come through Bluebeth in and out. Um, all the great, like from uh, Joseph to um, like that kid that's playing right now on your team. Um, Sebastian Lamont. Sebastian, yeah. So you, there's been all around. Um, what's, the, what's the most common thing they all have, I guess, in common? Um, their basketball and their work ethic. So they come in different sizes and athleticism and yeah. – You know, they're all different, right? Some are tall, some are shorter, some are more athletic, some are less. The one thing that they do have in common is um, their approach to the game and their, you know, when they're on the court, you know, they don't waste time. And then when they're off the court, they also know how to have a good time and all that, and it's important. And if they feel they didn't get enough out of a workout, they're the ones that come to an assistant coach or the coach and says, what do you think I should work on next for 15, 20 minutes? They come back for more. So I would say that's what they have most in common. 
uh, you know, funny anecdote, like one of our, one of our guys that, that ended up playing division one, Nemanja Zarkovic, we were preparing, we were in our D2 season, we were in between our regionals and provincials. We were preparing and a coach, a recruiter was in the crowd. Uh, well, not in the crowd, but in the gym and we're going through our preparation and, and Nemanja just goes up to him and says, can we play so I can show what I can do? Can we just play? I'm like worried about injuries or whatever. And just, he told me that, you know, can we compete? Even though we had just played regional playoffs, I was like, all right. I just because of the way he said it and demanded it, I trusted it. And he ended up missing like three shots in two hours. And at the end of the practice, and these were all threes. And coach got up and said, I'm offering you a scholarship. You know, it's just, it, there's, there's, there's a lot of mental to that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so wow. that's what I would say. Okay. okay. Puis moi, dernière question, peut-être c'est, maybe it's maybe off, off uh, subject, off topic. With uh, what happened with George Floyd, like, do any of you, you having like a, I guess, black player in your team, do you, do you have the conversation with him with like, avec le racisme ou like? Um, so, It's a very, um, obviously, it's a, it's, it's a sensitive subject for everybody. Um, and uh, me being the position that I'm in, you know, I've, I've grown up in a multicultural neighborhood most of my childhood. So I didn't see race, right? I had friends of all colors. So, and I was also a, a naive, innocent boy, right? So, you know. I didn't, I was naive to it, right? And then I've been coaching for 15 years and I've always, I mean, some, some teams have been more diverse than not. And I've always coached them the same way, right? Everybody's the same to me. And, and but with what's been happening recently, you know, I've, I've, I've definitely had conversations in the past. It did not take uh, this tra- tragedy to happen. Like, I've had conversations with friends and coaches on staff that have shared some experiences. So, you know, I, I don't know what your question was specifically, but are conversations happening? Yes. Uh, the degree of conversation varies because um, the, degre- the degree of comfort varies. So, so like I, you know, yeah, I have a lot of uh, uh, black players on my team, but I can't, I can't approach them. Like I, I offer it to them, but I can't say, let's go talk about this and this and that. Like, I don't impose it is what I'm saying. Uh-huh. I'm ready to have it. I do want to have it, but I'm not, you know, forcing it upon them either. But it is, it is a subject that's floating around and has, has floated around a bit in the past, uh, in the past few months and, and, and years because there's other things that have happened also even locally. So the conversations do come up on bus rides. And, you know, when we're, when we're traveling to the States for six hours, some, some conversations go there. And the depth of the conversation is so impressive sometimes. Like, like I, f- I forget, like these, these are 17, 18-year-olds and the depth of the conversation that comes out. And I'm just like, wow, this is uh-huh. great, you know? And uh, yeah, it's very tough situation right now we're in yeah um yeah i don't know if that answers your question no, no, it, does. no, no, no it does yeah it does c'est juste que moi je voulais juste savoir comme 
quand tu les coaches, peut-être, euh, des fois, tu sais, ou peut-être, tu ne sais pas qu'est-ce qui se passe dans leur vie personnelle. So, je voulais juste savoir. Comme... Mais c'est une bonne réponse. It, it, goes, it goes back to that, that trust, the trust factor of the relationship. So, so with a kid that's barely new in the team, you know, it's going to be a little tougher to approach the person with a sensitive subject. Like, they're going to be like, well, you know, I barely know you also. That's just human nature. And with, with players that we have a more developed relationship, we're going to go there and we're going to share Uh, so, you know, it comes back to trust as well. And, and yeah, so it's definitely, definitely, uh, coming and as adults uh, as responsible adults, we also gotta, gotta be aware and, and keep an eye on, on what we're responsible for going forward in, in this, in this movement. I mean, to me, to me, the reaction to what happened, uh, I've teared up quite a few times watching videos and I'm not there, right? Like I wasn't able to, uh, I wasn't able to participate in the walk that happened uh, last Sunday. Uh, I do intend to the, go to the one on Sunday morning, although there's now two separate events that are happening at the same time. So I don't know which one to choose. I was following it on Facebook Live and, and I was getting emotional, you know? And, and I mean, if you're, if you're a decent human being, I mean, it's gonna, it's gonna affect you. I don't care. I don't care what background you're from. Well, listen, Mike, uh, I appreciate your time here on here talking to us about basketball and your insights and inputs, your history behind bringing Blue Buff to where it is right now and just telling us how you went from, I guess, playing and to coaching and the path that you went through, the struggles and challenges. I appreciate your time here and talking to us about it. I really appreciate it. Merci. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Mike, merci d'avoir accepté l'invitation. C'est sûr, il y a beaucoup de personnes qui vont apprendre de qu'est-ce que tu nous as dit pendant cette heure-là. Donc, merci encore pour d'avoir accepté. Uh, thank you. And for our listeners listening, don't forget to subscribe. Once again, I'm Seth Moa, a.k.a. SA. Kenny Jean-Louis, a.k.a. KJL. And stay tuned on our next episode.